Well, hello, dear friends, and welcome to, wait for it, season four of 1,000 Words. Season four. Wow. (laughs) Honestly, I've kind of been debating whether or not to even do the podcast this year. Uh, Not because I don't want to, but because I've just got so many plates spinning. I've got a new album coming out, and, and there's also a book that's coming out that goes with the album. All that's coming out over the next few months. Uh, And the album and the book are part of a trilogy. And so I'm also hitting the studio already again to start recording album two. And then I'm also working on writing book two. So a lot of good stuff is going on. But it's just kind of a lot. Uh, Oh, I'm also planning to tour again this coming fall. So anyway, plenty to tend to. And I was just feeling like, I don't know if I can also do the podcast. Uh, But I love doing the podcast. But I will say that I may not be quite as consistent as I would like to be with it. Um, So I'm just going to apologize ahead of time for that. But as I'm able, I will do my best to put out new episodes. So subscribe on your listening platform of choice, and better still, subscribe to my newsletter on my website over at matthewclark.net if you want to keep up with uh, the new album and the new book information and touring stuff, all that will really be happening uh, through my newsletter. So please sign up for my newsletter. Did I mention please sign up for my newsletter? (laughs) Yeah, that really does help. It helps me and it helps me keep in touch. Um, Okay, so that said, welcome to season four. It is really good to be with you today, and I appreciate you stopping by to listen. It goes without saying that the last couple of years have been rough on everybody, and I really do hope to offer this little podcast as a a respite and an encouragement as we keep, you know, putting one foot in front of the other on this pilgrim road of faith-keeping, because we really need each other's voices if we're going to remember who we are in Christ, what is our story, and we need respites, if we're going to stay engaged long-term in the story that God is working out in this world. So hang in there, friends. Um, Today, I'm sharing some rambly thoughts about Moses right at the end of his life. Um, I haven't typically pictured Moses as a songwriter, and I don't see him in my mind as you know, singing songs. Do you? But apparently I should. So, here is today's essay, The Furious Love Song of a Dying Man. Can you guess what one of the very last things is that Moses does before he dies? Here's the setting. Forty years ago, the Israelites had been brought to the very brink of the promised land, but they got cold feet and refused to trust God and go in. So they're sent to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and the next generation is finally brought back to the same spot where their parents stood back then to give this another shot. 
Moses walks them through the covenant agreement that God had made with their parents' generation, that's Deuteronomy, and his point is to make sure that they understand that this covenant wasn't just for their parents, it's also for them. Even though they weren't there, or maybe they were too young to remember what happened at Mount Sinai, they are bound to this agreement as well. So now here they are, they've taken up the covenant, and it's time to cross over into the promised land and claim it. But Moses won't be going with them. Joshua has been appointed to make the transition into this new life, but Moses has a few last things to wrap up before he climbs a mountain and dies. He does two things before dying, and I was surprised to see what they are. Can you guess? Well, the very last thing he does is pronounce blessings over the people tribe by tribe. But the second to last thing he does really surprises me. He teaches the people a song. Now imagine if you were about to die, and you'd gathered all your family around you, and then you say, Okay, somebody go get a notepad. Write down these lyrics. It's critical that you memorize this song I just wrote for you. Isn't that interesting? As a songwriter myself, I I perked up when I read that, that this is basically what Moses does. What is this about? First of all, songs and stories have long been among the ways that cultures preserve a sort of social, imaginal fabric. Songs, liturgies, festivals, traditions, these are things that humans, from time immemorial, have made as containers to hold their social self-understanding. And when we forget who we are or what we're about, we revisit the songs and stories of our people. Think of the book of Psalms and the Bible in general. It's a richly crafted record that preserves for us the truth about us, according to God. And in large part, it's in poetry, lyric, and story form. So Moses is writing a song for this people to help them preserve an understanding of themselves And it may be that this song will unfold its meaning more and more as the generations unfold. Songs often do that, because the best art always means more than the artist, him or herself, could possibly have consciously meant for it to mean. The truer the artwork, the more naturally and deeply prophetic it will tend to be, whether the artist knows it or not. Very occasionally I've experienced myself that a song I wrote will confront me with meanings I had not intended or foreseen. That one of the very last things a major shepherd of God's people like Moses would do before he dies is write a song is wonderful to me. However, the song itself is no pep rally cheer. It's actually quite sobering. It's more of a warning song, really. There's quite a lot in it about punishment of those who reject God, even when it is his own people. 
On the other hand, by the end of the song, God is fighting on behalf of those who have sought His face. He's redeeming and atoning the land and His people. He even calls for the nations, those who are not His people, to rejoice with His people. As a side note, Paul quotes this last song of Moses several times in the last part of his book to the Romans, as he's talking about salvation being offered to the whole world and not just the Jews. What struck me this morning as I was reading the song itself is something that's very hard to talk about. This is a song to help this people understand themselves as God's people. And it's also a song of warning to those among them who don't take that call seriously. I'm not going to lie, this is one of those places folks might point to and say, See, the God of the Old Testament is so mean. How can you possibly reconcile that with the loving Jesus in the New Testament? What is going on here? Is there a problem? How can we better understand the position God is in as He works to save the world from the onslaught of death? Because those are the stakes. And the stakes are high beyond our ability to imagine. That may be part of why God's sternness feels a little over the top. Because we're like a kid stooping to pick up a penny on the asphalt, and we don't see the speeding bus heading our way. Meanwhile, our feelings are hurt by the red-faced guy on the corner screaming at us. Why is he yelling at us? It's just a penny. What's the big deal? There's a certain hilarious meme with pictures of screaming toddlers with text describing the things about which they are throwing a fit. In every one of the photos, the parent has prevented them from either doing something impossible, you know, like holding the moon, or something dangerous, like playing with the kitchen knife. It's funny because we can relate, and it's relatable because it's true. We still find ourselves surprised to be hurt by something we thought we wanted so badly. I hope I'm not the only one who experiences that almost daily. Something is going on in this world that is so incredibly important to our well-being that it's worth God getting really mad about. Because as Henry Cloud and modern psychology in general have pointed out, if you want to know what really matters to someone, pay attention to what makes them angry. If they blow their top because you spilled mustard on their shirt, They may love their appearance more than they love you. If they're ready to punch somebody because somebody insulted you, maybe they love you more than they love their own bodily comfort or safety. And that leads us to follow the line through anger to suffering then. If someone is willing to disregard their own safety and comfort for your benefit, then righteous anger and willingness to suffer may be related. They may be on a continuum. If that's the case, 
than the God whose wrath flares up when his people shirk their responsibility as collaborators in the redemption of the world in the Old Testament, is the same God who completely disregards his own comfort and safety when it comes to the fulfillment of that same work of redemption in the New Testament. In other words, anger over a threat against a loved one and an almost crazy willingness to suffer for a loved one are two sides of the same coin. Our God loves us enough to get angry in our defense, and He loves us enough to face our enemies and lay down His life for us. And so, in the tradition of Moses, Rich Mullins can sing, without a hint of sarcasm, of the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. To send us out today, I'd thought of playing that Rich Mullins song, The Love of God, but I don't think I can, just for copyright reasons. But I would really encourage you to go look it up and give it a listen. Um, And I'll put a link to it on the show notes on my website over at matthewclark.net. So, I can't play the song, but I would like to just read a snippet of the lyrics for you as a kind of benediction. Rich Mullins writes, There's a wideness in God's mercy I cannot find in my own. And He keeps His fire burning to melt this heart of stone keeps me aching with a yearning, keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. Joy and sorrow are this ocean, and in their every ebb and flow, now the Lord a door has opened that all hell could never close. Here I'm tested and made worthy. Tossed about, but lifted up in the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. Well, folks, I hope that as you contemplate God's anger, you'll find a clue to how much you matter to Him. Like a mother protecting her child or a husband defending his wife's honor and that you'll let that lead you to the ultimate outworking of that desire to defend us in Jesus' willingness to lay down His life at the cross. So with that, thanks so much for stopping by. I hope you have a great week. And uh, stay tuned for more about my new album and book. It's called Only the Lover Sings. Um, And I will see you next time on 1000 Words, Stories on the Way.